Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Flip over to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be, be joining there in just a little bit. And while you're turning, uh, just a couple of things remind you. I got word today that they took the tube out of uh, Brother Dale. And so after they get an x-ray, if, it, if the lung's still inflated, they'll move him out of ICU. So be in prayer for that. That'll be ongoing. I would assume the x-rays tomorrow morning if, if they haven't already had it by this hour. But make that a, a matter of prayer. Continue to pray for Pam Rudder. Um, this is Lois, Miss Lois's sister. Uh, in this very difficult time that she's in, she's nearing the end with a body just riddled with cancer. And so make that a, a matter of prayer request or you have strength there as well. And then, if you will, just, just an extension on this conference coming up. Sunday will be regular scheduled services has been announced, and we'll have one speaker in the p.m. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday evenings that start at 6.30, and we'll have two speakers each evening. And so there's a good bit going on. Also, 10 a.m. 10 a.m. is going to have a lot of stuff packed into it, or at least we're going to try to pack a lot of stuff in there. Um, but I'm looking forward to each of these. Um, I mean, I've been looking forward to this for, since last year. And uh, I'm just very excited about it. I think uh, Brother Allison and Brother Wells do a fantastic job preaching the Word of God. And yet at the same time, uh, just from a pastoral point of view, I don't have to worry about them hurting our church family at all. And so that's a double-edged blessing there if we can use it in that tone. And so I'm thankful for their ministries and looking forward to the opportunity we have to enjoy time. Uh, keep in mind also, after each service, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night, we're going to have some snacks and I don't know if that can substitute your supper or not. But that way, you know, if, if you are a little rushed out, you'll have some snacks here uh, that we'll be able to join any visitors and guests that are here. We'll try to do that to be an encouragement to them, but also just to have time of fellowship. But there's also a legitimate need, you know, to kind of top you off before you go home and uh, it's in for a good week. And so keep all that just at the forefront of your mind, uh, these opportunities that the Lord has given to us. Um, it's one of the great joys. This will be our third year with the preaching conference, and I'm just excited about it. Well, you're here in 1 Peter chapter number 5. 1 Peter chapter number 5. And let's, let's read our text verse, if we will, in verse number 8. And we get started tonight. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Last week, and really several weeks ago, we started this series on giving place to the devil. And we started with that for the underlined viewpoint uh, that he is not uh, an uh, enemy that used to be present. He is not an enemy that uh, wages a light warfare. He is not simply a little nuisance and a little bother. Um, we as believers can place ourselves because of our flesh and desires in such a place where spiritual warfare will occur and the demonstrative will is used. And the last week we looked a little bit about this devouring thing. It's interesting, I was reading through a number of resources came upon a well-known evangelical pastor, um, somewhat Baptist, and in referencing this verse in question, can, can um, there be the devouring of the child of God by Satan? Uh, is this a type of spiritual warfare? I was surprised to see his answer was simply, absolutely not, you're saved. If you're saved, then the demonic forces of evil, you're insulated from all of that. And I sat back and I was a bit baffled because as I look through the scriptures, there are so many prevailing passages 
that speak otherwise. And we took to probably one of the most classical ones, and that's Revelation chapter 12. And remember, in Revelation chapter 12, we looked at from last week. I give you an opportunity to kind of participate. What, what were the four groups? Now, some of this lies in the past and some in the future, but there's four entities there that Satan combats. Do you remember? Revelation chapter 12. What was that? Yes, so it is metaphorical. You got a mother and a child. And that mother is not the Roman Catholic Church. The mother is the nation of Israel. And then this woman gives birth, and the scripture says she has a child. And of course, this child goes up in the presence of God the Father, that's Jesus Christ. And those are the first two. And you see that also in the past, and in the present, and in the future, because of the covenant promises that God's made to the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. What you find is they are often sought to be on the receiving end of the devouring, gnashing, persecuting portions of this demonic being, Satan. Equal with that, during his earthly ministry, as our Lord was um, wrapped in a tabernacle of flesh, he was oft pursued by the wicked ones. Not the least of these was the temptations after 40 days of fasting into the wilderness and the three temptations upon which Satan placed upon him. You can look beyond, as we did last week, and the whole host, the number of times referenced where the Pharisees were indignant in their attitudes towards him and sought to not only kill him or to stone him, but later, and I think it's the end of John chapter 11, they were going to pass a capital destruction upon any that knew where Christ was. So in their disgust, disdain, their evil, uh, that no doubt was funneled by the powers of wickedness, they sought not only to, to slay the Lord, but beyond that, they sought to slay anyone that knew where he was. So these are certainly past and in the future sense with Israel, uh, enemies upon which Satan will seek to devour. Beyond that, there was a third one we saw a little bit there with uh, the heavenly host, Michael withstanding him. And then the final one, you get down to the end of chapter 12 of Revelation. Of course, you look at the remnant of the tribulational period that there would be that Satan opposes them. And by application, though we're not in the midst of the tribulation, it can be said of this wise, he's equally opposed to you and I at this very hour. Hence, the truth of what is being conveyed in 1 Peter chapter 5, your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about, that's a continual state, seeking whom he may devour. Spiritual warfare is a significant thing that a Christian must understand and must engage through the Spirit of God to overcome. Now, this evening I want to look at this, really this essence. These are who last week he devours. What's the battleground? How does he engage this warring lion who seeks to devour, to swallow up whole, to shred him about? How does he engage in this? What type of attacks does he use? For simplicity's sake tonight, I'm really going to take and give you three. Three that are found throughout scriptures. The first of these, you're in Luke chapter 22. We're going to refer to it as this, personal. You might, if you want to refer it this way, individual attack. Individual attack. Look over in Luke 22. Luke 22. Now, in subsequent messages... Um, we, we might refer to some of these various passages. But for tonight, we're looking at these actual battlegrounds that exist. And you're there in Luke chapter 22. And I want to draw to your attention verse number 24. 
says, and, 22-24 of Luke, and there was also, what? Strife. If you write in your Bibles, circle that word, strife. You'll find it, same word, I think it's uh, 1 Corinthians, and talking about the schisms and divisions were in that church, he refers to it at once as this, he says, uh, thou lovest to have the preeminence. Loveth that victory. The word's the same. The word is a compound Greek word, philo nikos. You can almost hear it. You know that sneaker company? Nike? That's a Greek word. And that idea there, nikos, Nike, it has the idea of victory. And philos is the classical Greek word of brotherly love. You might would hear it. I don't want you to cry. In, if I was to say Philadelphia Phillies, anyway. Uh, Phila, love. And so this word strife, it's interesting, good picture word here. Loveth victory. I want to point this out to you in verse 24. Who was this strife among? Who's having, who, who is the them? Can I note to you? The Lord's going to make a revelation later in this passage. But they did a lot of Satan's work for him. That moment that they began, these disciples, and these are good men. Deception of one, they're believing men. They're apostles. The transmission of the scriptures would be, to one extent or another, upon their shoulders. They would be some of the great missionaries that would go literally to the regions beyond. Most of them, if not all of them, or nearly all of them, would follow the example of Christ in dying a martyr's death. Now note verse 24, there arose a strife among them. And the idea of strife, they couldn't let go of it. Their position was right. Well, what's this strife about? Well, that's the next part of verse 24. Which of them should be counted the... Now, I mean, they must have been Baptist. Which of them was the greatest? So they take this much thought out, reasonable thought, and they take it to the Lord. Now, I know that the Lord is omniscient and knows of all, but no doubt He sat there and witnessed men that should have been concerned about his purpose. By the way, if you look at the chapter heading, you're in chapter 22. You know what the next chapter is? Yes, chapter 23. But it deals with his crucifixion. So on the eve of the crucifixion of our Savior, what are they talking about? And each perhaps defending either their friend or their own very cause on why their position on this matter was greatest. And if we were present, let's not think too highly of ourselves. We might be in that very vein to say, wow, you know, Peter, you know, there's a lot of good about Peter. I would think when God comes into his kingdom, that he's going to be one of the greatest. Peter, no doubt, would be on that plane. Of course, it is interesting that the sovereignty of God at play, they had no idea who Paul was. No consideration at all. 
At this particular text, they likely did not even know that Judas Iscariot was a traitor. These are powerful considerations to make, and the Lord's going to give them a parable. The appointment that I'll give you on this parable is in verse 29. He said, he said in this sense, as one, a king of the Gentiles, he's making a parable, he comes down to verse number 28, he said, I appoint, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father has appointed you. Now, this parable that he gave is not the context of my message, but I would leave you at this. He answered their strife with the recognition of the Word of God. The guys are talking about who's going to be the greatest. No, you're not. I have a place for you. And sometimes we do a lot of evil work that we would give the devil too much credit. He did not have to work hard here. They did it all by their lonesome. Now notice in verse number 31, he's finished this parable. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you. Why? What's the last phrase there? That he may sift as wheat. He wants to deceive you. He wants to riddle you. He wants to destroy you. In verse 32 he said, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, the idea of returning back to strength of God, strengthen thy brethren. This whole picture goes together. They went from the point where they're arguing one with another, and if you're going to get to the point that you're arguing one with another, to the point that your way, your thought, your mentality is right, and it's aside from what God's plan is altogether, it focuses on an awful amount of self. One of the number one causes for depression and the life of a believer ultimately finds a deep root in dwelling in self-pity. Did get what I want? It didn't go my way. That's doing demonic work for him. If the apostles could have walked away at this side, so, well, I, you heard that, I'm not going to be chiefest in the kingdom. Well, I'm going to throw up my hands and quit. And perhaps everybody looked at Peter. Well, obviously that means Peter. Peter's going to have a lush life the rest of his life. It wouldn't end that way. Peter often exposed every portion of selfishness that could ever be done. Notice the prayer of God. Here in verse 32, he's talking about the three times he's about to deny him. Old strong Peter's going to go with him to the very end. Old strong Peter's never going to quit. Old strong Peter, he's going to come to a great difficulty in his life when his flesh will cause him to move away from the power and the presence of the Almighty God. And not once, not twice, but three times, he'll deny knowledge of the Most Holy God. But when he is converted, likely that happens at the end of the Gospel of John. Lovest thou me? Strengthen thy brethren. And it will be Peter in the opening pages of the book of Acts that does just that thing. And talk about an opportunity of what you might have or talk about the opportunity of the will of God for your life. I speak of this wise because this is a personal attack. This attack seems not directed at all of the apostles. Fundamentally, it would seem in verse number 32 that this individual or personal attack is directed definitively at the apostle Peter. And the essence is true. He desires 
What's our text say? To sift you. To rip you to shreds. A personal attack. Now Peter is not the only one in scriptures that has a personal attack. Let me give you a few others of these. I think of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. In fact, in just a moment, I'm going to talk about the final attack, a final type of attack. And almost all those verses has come out of the church at Corinth. The church of Corinth was completely and at its fundamental roots in great spiritual failure. There's very little they did right. But they were a great example on how to love personal victory in their life. They were disjointed. And there I would note in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 7 through 10, Paul says this, there was a messenger of Satan. Now some think of this as being an illness, and certainly that's alluded to. Some think that it was legitimately an individual, an agent of demonic forces, if you will, uh, a, a lost person under diabolical influence that was in the assembly that was at the source of creating all of this turmoil. In either case, there is a demonic attack against the Apostle Paul. So much so that he says three times, I prayed that God would remove this. And yet, what did the scripture say? He said unto me, my grace is sufficient to thee. Not only from the Apostle Peter, but the Apostle Paul. Look over, if you will, in Revelation chapter 20. These come to mind as, I'm going to classify them as individual attacks, but they are more broad than that. Well, look at, Two, actually, in the passage here, uh, in, uh, in Revelation chapter 2, you have the seven churches of the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Draw your eyes down in chapter number 2. In chapter number 2 in verse 10, he's speaking um, in verse number 8 of the church at Smyrna. In fact, pull your eyes to verse number 9. He said, I know thy works. And what's the next word? Why'd they have Tribulation. You won't find that same phrase pointed in the same way in the church of Ephesus. Church of Ephesus, not a perfect church. Tribulation is not the issue here. But Smyrna has tribulation. Keep reading. You got a conjunction there and what's the other problem? Poverty. Again, not like the church at Laodicea. They had great wealth. Now keep reading. He said, but thou art rich, that is, rich in the Lord. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the... That tribulation, which ultimately likely brought about great poverty, penury is the idea, was at the direct hands of demonic opposition. Not unlike what the church at Jerusalem suffered in Acts chapter 2 and 3. When because of the whole host of them that came to the knowledge of Christ, there is grand persecution in so much that it says that the church had all things in common. Why? Because poverty was present on every hand as a direct result of them being of the way. And Here to the church at Smyrna, he speaks of a synagogue of Satan. Pull your eyes down a little bit further in chapter number 2, all the way down to verse number 18. It's the church at Thyatira. 
You'll see there in verse number 20, as he speaks following verse number 19 about their works, he says, I have a few things against thee. Thou sufferest the woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, to eat uh, those things sacrificed unto idols. He continues in verse number 22, Behold, I'll cast her into a bed, them that commit adultery with her, into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Note verse 24. But I say unto you, unto the rest in Thyatira, and as many as, not, uh, as, many have not this doctrine, which have not known of the what? Depths of Satan. As they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. The idea of the church there at Thyatira, you have demonic influence that's come into the church that's caused the destruction of believers' very lives. The depths of Satan. What did the Lord accuse it to? Who at whose feet did he lay? Well, he laid it at this devouring hand of evil. I'll give you another one. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is another battleground that you see. We're speaking on the larger sense, of course, of where these battles. To whom is he seeking to devour? Oftentimes it can be individual. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We think of this as a passage that speaks on church discipline. There's a large passage that is given here. Notice, if you will, verse number 1 is reported commonly. There's fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Verse number 2, you are puffed up, have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. You put him out of the congregation, the idea. Now notice verse number 5. Speaking of that individual, to deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are certain things that a child of God can do, and if they're unrepentant about it, God will sometimes allow demonic devouring to be used in part of His judgment. That's what he's done. He says, you're going to put him outside the assembly. And I'm going to let the devil have his body. And he says there in verse number 5, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's that mean? I'll bring him home. It's a dangerous thing when a child becomes striving like the church at Corinth. It's a dangerous thing when they become tolerant of false evil. It's a dangerous thing when a child of God lives a rebellious life. The Lord said, turn him over to such a one for the destruction of the flesh. He said, I'll let Satan have him. All of these ways in which Satan would devour believers. I'll give you one more. Look over, if you will, in, uh, in 1 Timothy. There's several more that we could look at. Look at 1 Timothy. And note, if you will, in verse number 2. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Sometimes in conflict could be one like Paul of either sickness or a messenger as in an individual. Peter, one that denied Christ three times. Smyrna and Thyatira that went all type, under all types of false teaching that brought about persecution and ultimately destruction. The rebellious individual of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. All of these are battlegrounds in which an individual Christian can undergo. There's a general sense in which one can do in 1 John chapter 2. 
He speaks of this wise, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the less the flesh, the less the eyes and pride of life. There is a general way that all believers are confronted, if you will, in a sense of attack from demonic evil. This world system does. It has influences that shape worldviews, as we spoke in the Sunday school hour. In keeping with that general attack, I even think about Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5 and chapter 4, you have people like Barnabas bringing all of these goods and laying at the apostles' feet. He has sold that land and it was given to others. And here's Ananias and Sapphira. And what did they do? They sold land and said that they had brought the whole price when really they had only brought a portion. They had kept back some. But Peter said this unto them. He said, Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. Why did they do what they did? What influence was around them? Well, you could say in a general sense, it's the world system. Don't you want that money? How could you use that? God, God's not going to care if you don't do the whole thing you pledged to do. It's the world system. And they succumbed and believed that diabolical evil and lied to the Holy Spirit of God as the first church discipline in all the scriptures. God took their life individually on that very day. You're one more. You're in 1 Timothy. Look in chapter 1. Verse 18. This charge I commit thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a what? What kind of warfare is he warring against? Spiritual warfare. He's not going to strap on a literal sword. He's not going to church with a literal howitzer. But Paul is often admonishing him about the spiritual combat. Ephesians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that is so readily present. And I want you to be aware of these things, Timothy. Holding faith and a good conscience, which, have, which some, having put away concerning the faith, have made what? They destroyed their faith. They didn't hold fast the truth. They mingled truth with error. Didn't have a good conscience. They had a seared conscience. Here in 1 Timothy, Paul under inspiration is going to list two individuals. Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul said. I have delivered them unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme speaking against. They had turned in a rebellious sense away from the truths of the Word of God. And we do not have apostles today in this essence, but it can be in the very same liking of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where God moves His hand of protection off a child and lets Satan have their will and way with that individual. As of such, Hymenaeus and Alexander. There's a great attack on the individual. Your behavior, sometimes God can allow the demonic devouring forces of evil to be used as His judgment against a believer. That's a terrible atrocity to consider. That a child of God will get to the point in their life that they have resisted and resisted and resisted the beckoning, pleading hand of the Holy Spirit of God and rejected it. And God moves out of the way, as it were and allows the gnashing teeth of the evil to succumb that individual in their life. Churches, 
And churches are made up of individuals. Our failure to hold forth in faith and to trust God and to believe the truths of the Word of God, we speak of veering this way or that. You'll hear that. That church went this way or that church. God can remove His candlestick. God can remove His hand of blessing. And then there's nothing hindering the devouring desire of the evil one. It can be an individual attack. Note a second thing, and, and I won't have you turn here. I'll move straight to the third one, but, but I want to mention this. It, sometimes the attack of evil can be an intimate attack. Now I would hearken you to 1 Samuel, or rather 1 Chronicles chapter 7. Sometimes in his desire to devour, he seeks to devour in a very close and personal way. He'll turn wife against husband, husband against wife, children against their parents. In fact, that is the exact description that the Lord Jesus said of the devil. The thief cometh not but to kill, steal, and destroy. You know, we're speaking in the Sunday school hour about the society we live in and it's reverting to its pagan religion and a pagan worldview. It's a terrible thing to think today of what it means for a child to leave the protection of godly influences and go into the world. 30, 40 years ago, a, a child could leave godly influences and go into the world and as a general rule, the worldview being what it was, still aspire to some type of morality. Let them have that attitude today and it will not take long for they are ruined through and through. The devouring hand of Satan can sometimes be an intimate attack. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that particularly is what he's dealing with. Notice the third thing, if you will. And this is not keeping with alliteration, but also at its seat of devouring, let's call it a congregational attack. Look, if you will, you're in 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians, if you will. And I've put these in order, but I want you to consider these. You'll find so many of these attributed to the Corinthian church. Look at Corinthians, starting in chapter number 1. This is a church that's plagued. They have divisions. They even get to the point where they deny the apostolic commission that the apostle Paul has. So in arguing with him, who made you an apostle? They're rejecting the truths of the word of God. They're embracing false teaching. They do not realize that they are being destroyed by the devouring hand of the evil one. It's a congregational attack that exists. Notice, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. I like this phrase, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the what? Can you imagine going to a business meeting at the Corinth Baptist Church? A church that does not have the same mind and the same judgment. We're not talking about simple disagreements. You know who's at the center of that? The evil one. We're not talking about adherence to biblical truth. We're not talking about scriptures that, that, that God is not giving clear meaning to. 
Vague meaning sometimes in Scripture. We're not talking about that. We're talking about cut, clear, Word of God, truth, and there's disagreements on it. That's the way Satan seeks to devour. You know, you don't have to be in a Bible-preaching church for, for very long to realize that disunity often occurs. I'm not saying that people that disagree are demon-possessed. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that they've given themselves over to thinking and acting like the devil. Because they're not thinking and acting in accordance with the Word of God. Being of the same judgment, the same mind. No unity there. So much so had this carried out in the church of Corinth. Look over in chapter 6. And I, I'm skipping through a lot of things just for time's sake tonight. But look in chapter 6. So much so were they full of contention, full of evil, in great division even among the truths of the Word of God that when you come to chapter 6, they're willing to go to court together against each other. Verse number 6, Brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbeliever. Doesn't matter anymore. The temporal has become more important than eternal. My rights have superseded the will of God. Has not Satan accomplished a great thing in how this church behaves? They're going to court in front of all the unbelievers and the two deacons, the deacon and the pastor, deacon, whoever the com combination is, are warring against each other. You tell me about their testimony for Christ again. It's a congregational attack. Notice another one, if you will, in the same book. Look in chapter 11. This disunity had spread not only to without, but at very what should be sola Christ-centered interaction of a believer. Look in chapter 11. Here next Sunday, or rather in two Sundays, we'll be coming out of this passage. This passage here is a classical passage that we use when we deal with Lord's table and communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we often start in verse number 23. The example of Christ, how before he was ready, he took bread... Verse 24, he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner also. And we're, I mean, how many are not familiar with that? But the attention I want to give you is not verses number 23 through 34. Pull your eyes up to verse number 22. See, what ought to be an opportunity where every child comes to the point of God to examine themselves, to see the Holy Spirit of God, touch a place in their heart that they surrender to His will and to His word and if you will have Him right their ship and go down a path that pleases Him. Look at verse 22. Instead in the preceding verses what's happened is all kind of divisions upon them and everybody's concerned about their rights and what they get and what they want and when they want that they begin to have these feasts before church. In so much that this part of the church was feasting and this part of the church over here was starving. And Paul asked him a rhetorical question. Look at verse 22. Have you not houses to eat in and to drink in? Here's the rhetorical question. Despise you the church of God? Why are you so divisive? You act like you hate each other. 
Who's at the essence of that? That's a doctrine of devils. It was this contextually here, it was this very topic which in Acts chapter 6 was one of the motives by which the apostles said, choose you out these men of good report. Why? Because Satan will use any division. Look how simple it is. If you let that thing metastasize for a little bit, he's got his way and he'll drive deep and the destruction of believers and the destruction of individuals that walk with God is at the top of his list. And it's not very difficult sometimes for him to gnash at believers because we do so much of his work for us. Look at verse 22. He continues, he says, What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Congregational attack. In fact, you could even look in verse number 14. And this chaos and this disorder and this strife had come to a whole new arena. It's just not without in courts with a few people with believers. It's not just there. It's just not at the time that they absorbed the Lord's table. They can't even have church together. Worship services. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'll point out a few verses. For instance, look, if you will, in, in, uh, in verse number 20. He said, Brethren, be not children understanding. I be it malice, be children, but in understanding be men. He continues in verse 22, talking about tongues being a sign. He says in verse 23, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelieved, will they not say that you are mad? And he continues in these passages and talks about there being two or three witnesses. You find that in verse number 27. If a man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be known by two, or at the most by three, that by course and let one interpret. And he's speaking on how to use their gifts. And then he concludes the chapter in verse 40 with this. Let all things be done. How? And the kingdom of evils where you find chaos you find order in the church of God. There was such great demonic attack on the church that was at Corinth that it impacted them in their families, in their worship time, in their preaching time, in their exterior witness that they had in relationship to to going to court together. They, They had no ability to get along outside the church, inside the church. There's immorality that is rampant. Who's at the behest of all of this? Satan that seeks to devour. I'll give you one more for time's sake. It's not just the church in a sense of the members that are under attack. It's also the pastor. I'll read you a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6, If a bishop desires the office of a work, of the uh, office of ministry, desire the good work. And then he talks about the characteristics of the ministry, not, a, not blame, uh, be blameless, husband of one wife, children not riotous, not a striver, not a striker, etc. And then he comes down to verse number 7, and this is important. Not a novice. The idea of neophyte. A theological lightweight. 
Why? Lest, anybody there in verse number 7? What's it say? The snare of the devil. Said one reason to make sure that the man that's preaching and doing that is someone with some experience and some gravitas and sobriety about them is because he's instructing in the rich things of the Word of God and the doctrine of truth. And if he gets lifted up, note Satan to get hold of him. I'm attempting to show you from the Word of God tonight that every part of your spiritual uh, uh, worship, your, your, your spiritual existence, every part of your life can be the battleground for the evil one. There is nothing sacred to him. This keeps this in mind, of course. Someone said, well, I'm going to fight the devil. I'm going to fight him. Well, it's interesting. With the exception of the apostles, and all of them have since died, Nowhere in Scripture are believers commanded to attack the devils or his demons. You won't find it. God's not instructed that the local church have a, what do they call that, an exorcist service. You won't find it in the Scriptures. You'll find it in the Catholic Church, maybe, but you won't find it in the Scriptures. Nor are we told to go about binding the devil. We're going to have a devil-binding service. You're not told that anywhere in scriptures. That practice was reserved exclusively for the apostles in the gospel era of the New Testament. It was a sign. In fact, I would note that Michael himself was not able by himself to defeat the adversary of the evil one and the scripture records multiple engagements that he had with Satan. You'll remember in Jude, is it verse 7? Even Michael, the archangel, when disputing with the devil, brought not a railing accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. And the revelation of the 20th chapter. There's a great battle among the agents in heaven, and they all war. And if it's not for the hand of God that cast them out, there would have been no victory that was had that day. The power to control... And the ultimate power to dispatch Satan is Christ, that is God's own power. In a real sense, he has defeated Satan. That happened on the cross of Calvary when he cried aloud, It is finished. These are the death wells, as it were, of Satan. He's a defeated foe. And one day, God will dispatch him in his good timing when he binds that old serpent, the deceiver of nations, and cast him into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. It's not my job. It's not your job to go about with exorcisms and the binding of satanic beings. Rather, believers must be aware of these diabolical attacks and hold fast to the truth of God. And it is God's command that they will be overcomers. Let me take you to one last passage, kind of put a bow on all this. Look in 1 John. You and I do not have to be victims of the devouring pursuit of evil. Look at 1 John. In fact, I've already referenced this verse a few times. Chapter number 2. 
We're called to be overcomers. Not only overcoming a world system that's under evil and under diabolical direction, not only am I to overcome my flesh by putting on the new man which is created after Christ and all godliness and holiness, but I am called to resist the attacks of evil. And listen, part of that resistance, and I'll get to this in a future message, a lot of it is awareness. Be aware. Be aware how God can use your tongue. Be aware how Satan can use your words. Be aware how God can use you to forgive. Be aware how God can use, or rather how Satan can use your lack of forgiveness. Be aware. Man, many a Christian's hurt by someone else because they just let their mind wander off. Preacher don't love me anymore. He don't like me. The preacher tell you that? No, I, I can just tell. Be aware of that attitude. That's the exact teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That do benevolence. Be aware about that. Why? Because there's a demonic evil one that's seeking devour, and he is capable. He knows what human minds think. He knows how you operate on your best day. And he is tangled with people smarter, brighter, and stronger than anyone in this room. So when you think things that are unbiblical, you see striving. Be careful of striving with other believers. Why? Satan used that. You stuck the knife in, he'll turn it all day. Notice 1 John chapter 2. I write unto you, verse number 12, little children, why your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Verse 13, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. You have a deep knowledge of the things of God. Look at this, the mark of a young man in spiritual essence. I write unto you, young men, why? What have you done? You've overcome the wicked. Who's the wicked one? Is that the brother in Christ? Uh-uh. Does that mean you've overcome in a political sense? We will overcome. No. He said you've learned how to resist the devil. You've learned how to realize his tactics. You're not ignorant of his devices. And you've made a personal cognizant choice to be aware of how he operates and to behave yourself in the strength of the Almighty God who loved you and gave himself for you. It goes on in verse number 14, I've written unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you young men because ye are what? Strong. And the word of God does what? You're mature. You've learned doctrine, you've learned truth, but you know what makes a young man a young man? He's able to apply that knowledge. He's not propagated the knowledge. That's what the father does. A father has a child. The fathers are those that know the word of God and have propagated it in the life of someone else. That's why Paul was the spiritual father of Timothy. These young men, he said, man, you know how to use it and you know how to effectively protect yourself against demonic onslaught. How? You're strong in the Word of God. Hey, can I tell you something? 
This is 2022, the 11th month, the sixth day. That's still God's plan for you and for me. Yes, Peter, he desires to sift you like wheat. Yes, he goeth about seeking whom he may devour. But through the power of the Almighty God and awareness, because of his truth, you can be, hmm, Romans comes to mind, more than conquerors through him which loved us. We don't have to be on the losing side of spiritual war. We can be victorious. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.